This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To learn more, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news. Welcome. I'm Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast for Lehigh University's College of Business. Today is September 14th, 2021, and we're talking with Andrew Ward about NFTs or non-fungible tokens, which have been much in the news of late. Dr. Ward holds the Charlotte and Dennessee Singleton 66 chair and is chair of the Department of Management at Lehigh's College of Business. He also teaches courses on societal shifts and the way that the world is changing. He conducts research on issues related to corporate governance, including CEO successions, CEO compensation, the roles and concerns of the chief executive officer, and CEO board relations, reputation, and leadership. He has published articles in several leading academic journals, including Administrative Science Quarterly and Organization Science. His website, thegreatdivides.com, examines how societal megatrends will cause future disruption. Today's topic, NFTs, which fall under the blockchain megatrend, are causing considerable disruption in the art and entertainment worlds already. So thank you for being with us today, Dr. Ward. Thank you for having me. This will be fun. It's, it should be. First, uh, to set this up, at Sotheby's Auction House in early September, a set of 101 non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, as we'll call them the rest of the way here, representing images of computer-generated cartoon apes, sold for a whopping $24.4 million. The set was just a small part of the limited 10,000 NFT collection known as the Board Ape Yacht Club. The sale came after two-time NBA MVP Stephen Curry in August paid $180,000 for an NFT from the Board Ape collection and made the image of a blue monkey wearing a tan suit his Twitter avatar. So how do we begin to make sense of this? I guess the best place to start is what is an NFT? Well, uh, as you said, NFT stands for non-fungible token. Uh, And so really the first thing to understand is what is meant by fungible or non-fungible. So fungibility is whether something is completely substitutable for something else. Um, We often think of this in terms of form and function. Uh, However, often people think that something has to be identical in form to be fungible. Um, That's not actually true. Uh, For example, think of Think of money, the US dollar, right? Uh, this is completely fungible despite having multiple forms. Uh, I, I might have five $1 bills in my wallet and you might have a $5 bill. Uh, we both have exactly the same value and would be willing to trade without any friction. And if you needed five wallets for a vending machine, say, I'd be quite happy to trade with you. And it doesn't have to even be in a physical form. You might just need two $1 bills for that vending machine and I could give them to you and you could Venmo me $2. Uh, That's still the same value to me, even in a totally non-material or digital form. So money is totally fungible. Uh, It doesn't need to have the same form. It just needs to be identical in function. Whereas on the other side, something is non-fungible, it has a different value in its function, even if not necessarily in form. For instance, you can buy an NFT of a play in the NBA 
it's one of the sort of popular NFTs that are around now. And even though you could watch that same play as many times as you wanted to on YouTube, but there's a different function in owning the NFT. Uh, in that case, sort of very similar to you know, collectible trading cards, the old baseball cards, uh, as many people collect, uh, which then can be owned and traded with, with other collectors, for example. And I mentioned up top that this falls under the you know, broader category of blockchain. And uh, can you explain how NFTs fit into the world of blockchain and their relationship to cryptocurrencies? Yeah, so, so NFTs are housed on blockchains, right? Uh, the, the blockchain is what records and verifies your ownership of a particular digital sort of NFT. I mean, NFT is uh, just like any form of physical property, but it's not physical. It's purely in digital form. And so uh, you need to be able to establish who who owns that uh, NFT at any given point in time. So uh, a blockchain is the secure way in which uh, those are recorded, verifies ownership, and therefore facilitates the transactions or the trading of those uh, those NFTs. Uh, cryptocurrencies uh, are actually completely fungible tokens. So these non-fungible tokens are these unique uh, forms like uh, a piece of art or, or something. Uh, but a cryptocurrency is another form of token, uh, digital token, but those are completely fungible. Uh, so a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin. Uh, and the differences between them, you know, the, the fact that they have different serial numbers doesn't matter. Uh, they, they're just uh, something that is also sort of tradable, also kept on a, a, a blockchain that records and sort of verifies ownership, but is something that, you know, people will trade on a one for, always trade on a one for one basis, like one Bitcoin is all, you know, your Bitcoin is the same as my Bitcoin we can trade them back and forth and, and it doesn't matter. Now, if I wanted to buy an NFT, how would I go about that? So the first thing you'd need is a, a wallet. Uh, and a, <laughs> a digital wallet is like a, a bank for your digital assets. And so uh, just as there are many different physical banks out there, there are also many different wallets out there. Uh, and so there's these uh, companies that have uh, set these wallets up, um, you know, examples, MetaMask or Coinbase or Bitski or Trust Wallet. There's lots of these around. Uh, the, some have very obscure names to them, um, but there are some that are being set up from perhaps more familiar names like PayPal uh, or Robinhood. And probably down the road, probably not far down the road, you'll also start seeing these digital wallets from even more familiar names like sort of regular banks like Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, uh, sort of places like that. And so these digital wallets are basically spaces or, or wallets where you can keep these intangible, these digital uh, forms that you have, whether that's uh, Bitcoins uh, or whether that's uh, non-fungible tokens. And so then once you have, have a wallet and somewhere to store these digital assets. Then there are different marketplaces. Uh, there are sort of art marketplaces like uh, OpenSea, uh, obviously, as you mentioned, Sotheby's. So auction houses have, have sort of become places where you can buy uh, some of these NFTs. 
but there are also other organizations like for example uh, just last week was the US Open tennis tournament and the US Open uh, had some NFTs on their website that you could uh, buy of, of various moments in US Open history uh, and the NBA has the its own uh, site uh, top shot uh, which uh, is where you can buy highlights from uh, NBA games and things like that and so there, there are many different places to uh, buy uh, an NFT and you do these transactions uh, you know through through websites um, like OpenSea or all these specialized things like the US Open or, or the NBA Top Shot uh, but then you you uh, buy them through these sites and and it transfers the digital key to your to your wallet and so they, they then get stored in your individual wallet okay now I, I know quite a few people who <clears throat> have trouble wrapping their head around this concept so when you do buy an nft what exactly are you getting for your money and to use an example uh, the twitter founder and ceo jack dorsey auctioned off his first tweet for 2.9 million dollars uh, in what sense does the buyer own that tweet which i assume probably still exists on the internet for anybody who wants to look at it to look at it right yeah, so uh, you you own it, right? Just as you own any uh, piece of art or or other collectible uh, in the physical world, uh, which means basically that Jack Dorsey, you know, having created it, can't sell it again to anyone else. Uh, the the buyer, who, I'm not sure who bought it, but whoever bought it could resell it again, uh, and therefore has the sort of ownership with the provenance that. Uh, you know, it came from Jack Dorsey. All of that information is stored on the uh, blockchain. So interestingly, though, one sort of uh, additional function really with NFTs is that at the outset, the, the person who creates the NFT can specify in the original sale that the creator themselves gets a certain percentage, you know, typically between zero and 10% of the gains of any future resale. So if, say, for example, Jack Dorsey had specified 10% and the, the buyer you know, who bought it for 2.9 million then would resell it for 4.9 million, let's say, uh, mm -hmm. then Jack himself would get 200,000 of that. Uh, and that would happen automatically with what's called a, a smart contract built into this original uh, transaction. And then if, if that buyer who bought it for 4.9 million sold it again for 5.9 million, then Jack would get another 100,000 uh, and so on. So creators can retain some benefit uh, even if once they've sold the uh, original work. Also with some NFTs, you get other benefits, right? So for example, you started off uh, talking about the Board 8 Yacht Club. And if you own one of these uh, eight NFTs, that uh, also then acts as your membership to this Board 8 Yacht Club. <laughs> which gives you uh, so access to a website that co-creates new art and has other features to it and is growing all the time and is an exclusive club, right? Because there was uh, only 10,000 of these NFTs created. And so, you know, only 10,000 people could uh, sort of be members of this particular club. And so NFTs can give you other digital and actually other physical benefits. For example, 
in the US Open NFTs, uh, which were just sold over the last couple of weeks when the US Open was on, uh, some of them also gave real world benefits like tickets to next year's US Open finals or meet and greets with, with players. And, and you go back to saying, well, you could go and see Jack Dorsey's original on the internet. And you know, that gets back to the whole notion of form versus function that you know, in, the, in this digital world, uh, those forms can actually be identical, right? I mean, you, that, that tweet, because it's a digital uh, creation uh, can be recreated exactly and, and seen uh, elsewhere. And so, you know, in, in that respect, it's different from the real world art world, in that if you go to the Louvre and go and see the, the Mona Lisa, for example, you could go in the gift shop and buy a poster of the Mona Lisa, but uh, it's not the same, right? It's not identical, uh, even though it may look similar. Whereas in the digital world, you can have assets which are you know, digitally exactly the same. Uh, but the difference being this uh, sort of ownership, this NFT uh, ownership, which then uh, sort of gives you as I said, often other benefits, but even within this digital world, this kind of collectible uh, benefit, just like uh, the, as I said, the, the NBA, you could buy one of these sort of digital collector cards, essentially, uh, which are video clips of a play in the NBA could still go and watch it on YouTube. It looks exactly the same, but you have uh, this uh, sort of tradable form where uh, people sort of will then sort of collect these things just as people you know, collect baseball cards, for example. Now you had mentioned OpenSea as one of the platforms where you can go and buy these in. And indeed it's the, as I understand it, the, the largest platform for buying and selling NFTs. And just uh, in August, the monthly sales topped $3 billion on OpenSea alone, which represented a mind-boggling 900% increase over the July sales volume of $325 million. Uh, going from millions to billions, that's the kind of money that is bound to attract the attention of government officials, I would think. So currently, NFTs are largely unregulated, as I understand it. So the question is, should they be? And do you expect they will continue to be unregulated? Well, in this respect, I see that NFTs are really no different from any other form of art or collectibles. And in you know these markets, the art market's a big market, collectible markets are big markets. Uh, they're not really regulated in any restrictive sense. So I wouldn't think really there's a need or likelihood for NFTs to attract any regulation in that sense. Of course, they are, um, however, subject to taxes like capital gains tax, uh, just like you know art collectibles or other, any other tangible property. So. Um, I suspect that the uh, the taxing authorities will will be paying attention to to these sales, uh, but um, I think you'll just see uh, these uh, being markets just like the the art markets. So I don't I don't foresee any particularly unique uh, regulation around NFTs. And as you were just saying, the 
collectors, at least I think the, the majority of them, do consider NFTs um, like the Board Ape Collection or even Jack Dorsey's tweet to be works of art. And there's no question that NFTs have, have had a hugely disrupting effect on art and entertainment in particular. Um, for example, in March, Mike Winkleman, who's the digital artist known as Beepy, sold an online auction at Christie's for $69.3 million with fees. Uh, one of his NFTs that he had created uh, as I recall, I believe it was a combination of all of the previous NFTs he had done all in one. And that was the third highest auction price achieved for a living artist. And I guess I should distinguish for physical painters, um, Jeff Koons and David Hockney. Obviously, though, the overwhelming majority of digital artists selling in the hundreds or low thousands of, of dollars so I'm wondering if NFTs are changing the way we value art, even what we consider art. And is there a sense that NFTs are actually democratizing the art marketplace by creating this world in which, you know, people who may not be dealing in the hundreds of thousands or millions or billions um, have access to art that they uh, cherish and, and value? Yeah, and I think in that respect, the art market, the broader art market, has always been democratized in, in that sense of the word democracy. Um, so people from all backgrounds are artists. There are many different forms of art. There are no barriers to entry to becoming an artist. Uh, and so NFTs add another form of art and in that respect may attract a different sort of person to consider themselves artists. Uh, I think this this is why many of the big sales in NFTs so far, as as you mentioned, uh, are actually not from artists that are that the public recognise from other platforms. You know, they're not the Jeff Koons or David Hockney's of the world, uh, but they are well known in digital worlds. And in in terms of value, you asked about uh, value. Value is always particularly difficult to assess in aesthetic things, right? So beauty is truly in the eye of the <laughs> beholder. Right. Um, so it, it's interesting, though, that most of these big money NFTs are, are being bought by people who also made their money in other digital spheres, whether mm. it's cryptocurrencies or, or otherwise. Uh, and so their perception of the value of these digital assets is likely to be sort of greatly skewed from how most people currently value these these assets so yeah i think it's having somewhat of a disruptive effect but I, but i think it's um really not that different from the the broader art market and in that you know anybody can participate in it uh and so there's there's no real barriers to entry besides the sort of taste of your patron right <laughs> uh, so if you're making something that somebody uh, else enjoys and likes and desires then then you'll find a market for it and not surprisingly and, and you had mentioned um the nba and uh and professional tennis um and others have found their way into this and i i would think maybe that has something to do with so many of their um, fans these days having 
grown up playing video games and being, you know, that that's not an uncommon world for them. Uh, but of course, now we're getting the, the leading, uh, you know, retail and business brands moving in, uh, including Coca-Cola, Dulce and Gabbana, Taco Bell, Charmin Toilet Paper, Nike, to name just a few. They've all taken a plunge into the NFT marketing pool. And from a business standpoint, what do you think they're hoping to get out of it? Yeah, I think it's it's different things, right? So for some brands like Coca-Cola, there's already a long-established history of collectibles. People have collected and traded Coca-Cola memorabilia for a very long time. Right. And so Coca-Cola's entry into NFTs just allows them to bring in a new form of collectible memorabilia. And so they uh, it's also interesting that they auctioned all of their initial NFTs to raise money for the Special Olympics, which is a cause they've long supported. So mm-hmm. this definitely works for them uh, in, in a dual way, really, to uh, continue to uh, strengthen their brand, uh, to continue to sort of engage people uh, who are already sort of deep into a world of uh, sort of collectibles within uh, that Coca-Cola sphere. For a company like Nike, you know, sneakers have taken on a whole new dimension in recent times with mm-hmm. huge and growing resale markets uh, like StockX and Goat, where these increasingly frequent limited edition drops of sneakers by Nike and uh, others, uh, Yeezys and others, uh, get resold for hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And so sneakers have become, have moved from being functional footwear to a collectible item. Uh, and so NFTs can serve a similar purpose for Nike in terms of uh, sort of building that brand, I think. Uh, for a company like Dolce & Gabbana, being on the cutting edge of fashion, the newness of NFTs, the demographics of the people that NFTs are appealing to, uh, there's a strong overlap with the customers that Dolce and Gabbana want. Uh, and so this also kind of helps to build their brand. But for companies like Charmin Toilet Paper, well, that's a little <laughs> bit more of a mystery to me. You know, who knows how they benefit? <laughs> I'm not sure exactly uh, what Charmin is doing in the uh, sort of NFT game. <laughs> uh, sort of interesting, though. They do say that you they can give you a little display to sort of hang near your, in your bathroom uh, to display your NFT digitally and uh, enhances your overall bathroom atmosphere. But, you know, that, that seems a bit more of a stretch to me. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, f- finally, there doesn't seem to be a consensus yet on whether NFTs represent a sound investment strategy. I mean, certainly, you know, we've talked about enough examples here um, of things being sold and, and resold for great gains. Um, but, you know, as recently as March, I believe it was, um, the NFT prices took a pretty steep dip. And a lot of people said, well, okay, that's it. It was a bubble, it burst. And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you had um, August where, you know, sales topped $3 billion, a new record by far. So, What's your take on that? Um, is it is it a trend that will pass or a bubble or um, yeah? And maybe the the 
question a lot of people would have is, would, would you invest in an NFT at this stage? Well, I think we're definitely moving upwards on the hype cycle for NFTs. Mm. Uh, and so as a result, no doubt there'll be some people who make a lot of money. Uh, but I think a, a lot of those will be these uh, creators of this art, such as people, as you mentioned, or mm. content generators such as the NBA, uh, as we've already seen. Uh, you could also see content creators like um, the Walt Disney Company, for example, getting in on the act and, and being very successful. But to make money as a collector, you need, I think, either deep expertise or great luck. Um, as, as this market explodes, it will certainly sort of take the dispersion of outcomes to extremes as well. And if just think about other art and collectible mar markets. Um, you know, 99% of art that artists sell actually has little to no value on the secondary market. But a very small percentage, you know, the Renoirs, the Monets, the Picassos, the Hockneys, uh, the Coons of the world uh, do extraordinarily well, both for the artist and in particular the collector. Uh, and I think the same is true in other collectible marketplaces, right? You know, 99.99% of cars end up on the scrap heap after a couple of decades. Uh, but, you know, very few become highly valuable plants and make their owners a lot of money. Uh, so I would say generally, if you're not an expert or don't have extraordinary luck, uh, I would treat this market like the regular art market, uh, just in a sort of turbocharged fashion at the moment. You know, uh, only buy something that you're going to enjoy having and looking at for your own pleasure that you will get the value out of for the money you spend uh, and not as an investment to fund your retirement or your kid's college education, because uh, that's yeah, more of a crapshoot than many other markets, I think. You know, but at the same time, you know, NFTs you know, are going through this hype cycle. Uh, you are going to see these massive booms and massive busts that come with it. And so you know, some people are going to be winners, some people are going to be losers in it. Uh, and so... Yeah, if you don't if you don't have the expertise and you're not really lucky, then I would just um, do it for uh, sort of fun rather than the expectation that you're going to make a lot of money out of it. Well, thank you, Dr. Ward. This has been fascinating as usual. I'd like to thank you again for being with us today. And I'll mention again uh, his website, thegreatdivides.com looks at eight societal shifts that will profoundly impact society over the next 10 to 15 years. Those shifts or megatrends in combination are driving what he sees as the three great divides, the wealth divide, the health divide, and the technology divide. And you can find out more about that by going to thegreatdivides.com. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh business blog. To hear more podcasts featuring Lehigh business thought leaders, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Lehigh Business. This is Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast. Thanks for listening.